West West Show. Because it doesn't pick up anywhere else. Is that alright? Yeah, that's oh, well, perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> I can actually try and um, tell the guests to do that because sometimes when they start, they're like far back. Right. But I'm too. Um, you know what? I'm too shy to say. Oh, can you move up <laughs> while we're recording? <laughs> oh good. <laughs> but now, nah, man. Oh, brother, man. Welcome back to West Auckland, mate. Thank you. It's awesome. It's, honestly, it's <laughs> awesome to be back. I love being back. Been here for back for a few days now. Mm. And, you know, thank you for coming on the podcast straight away because you've only been here what, in the country two days and yeah, back here. into work. and Got here in the weekend mm. and just back into it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> the man. So, you know, last time you were here, you know, we, we talked about a lot of things, a, a lot of topics. But, man, the one that interested me the most was your trip to the States. You know, you were going over as a as a scholar and you were going to go to UMass, University of, of, of Massachusetts. Mm. Um you know the the location of that is that where all the other universities are like Harvard and yeah so it's really yeah so um, the University of Massachusetts is three different campuses um, and I went to the one firstly in Boston now Boston is where Harvard is it's where MIT is uh, it's over thirty universities um, in the area so I decided to go to the only public university where the local the actually the real locals of Boston you know, attend this university, and then once they finish, they give back to the community, because I'm into that. If you look at the other universities, MIT, Harvard, international, they come in, and then they go back out. Mm. And I, I feel like I really wanted to work with those young people that are there for the long long term, and so that was the p- reason why I decided to go to UMass Boston. Mm. You're right, man, and I guess that's been the case ever since, because when you think of Harvard University, you know, it's the top top law school, top, uh, it's not just law, it's like, all sorts of same, but uh, definitely the top five in the world. MIT, top five in the world. Yeah. Two of the biggest universities. You know, MIT features, Harvard features, and all in the movies as well. So yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so they're the top universities in the world. But I decided, no, I, I'm not going to go to an Ivy League university. I made that quite clear. I'm a big believer in public education, accessible education, and if that means going to a public university where local kids go, I'm I'm for that. Mm-hmm. So out of all the public schools in America, like mm. what? Why did you choose UMass? Yeah, I've always wanted to go to Boston. Boston mm, is the right. academic city of the world. You know, over 30 universities there. Um, and it was such a such a buzzy place to be in. I loved I loved, um, I loved, loved Boston. It was such an amazing city. And I'd never been to Boston previously, although I had been to the States three times beforehand. So I really wanted to go to Boston. And I decided, let's go to UMass, UMass Boston. Um, it's beautiful because it overlooks the, the harbour as well. Probably the only university that actually overlooks the harbour, while the other universities are so, you know, r- well in the city. So every time I looked out, out of my office, I could see the beautiful water, could walk around the water. And I was mm. just yeah, really glad to be there. You got an office even. 
Oh, I had my own <laughs> office. It was massive. It was yeah, it was, it was it was awesome. Yeah, but don't get me wrong. I did visit MIT. I did visit Harvard many times actually mm. because a lot of my my friends were there. Some of my Fulbright scholar friends were there, so I visited them, and I definitely saw the differences between going to a public university and going to an extremely wealthy university. It was, it was very clear that what those differences were. Mm. Yeah, you just mentioned Fulbright. I see the um, Fulbright logo in, in a lot of your photos when you're over there on your Instagram page. Like, can you explain the Fulbright, the program, and what it is? Yeah, so Fulbright, um, so it's a reciprocal relationship between United States and other countries of the world. So if I look at um, between Aotearoa and, and the United States, Fulbright gives opportunities for New Zealanders. You can um, either study your master's, study a PhD, or if you already have a PhD, which I already have one, you could do a small research project, and they fund, um, they give you, they fund your, you know, your tuition fees at the university and your living costs um, while staying in the United States. So because I already finished my PhD, um, I only went for a very short time, did my uh, small research project there. Um, I was funded fully from Fulbright. Um, and, um, yeah, so I spent nearly five months there. Hmm. So is that like a sense of, to get people from other countries like New Zealand or anywhere else to come and experience, have the full experience, but did they have to go for, what kind of criteria do you have to be to get in that system? Or do you have to be like you, like a scholar like you? And well, it's really difficult, but I want, I want to say this, I'm, I'm not an academic, um, I, I'm just a lover of, of learning. That's simply it. I'm not an academic. I've never worked as an academic in a university before. So I'm, uh, it's very, I was told it's very rare for myself to be able to win this Fulbright Visiting Scholar Award. I'm not a professor. I don't work at a university. I work for an education charity elected to council. And I thought, I, I feel like that's what got me over is my advocacy in education. But it's quite hard to get, to get a Fulbright Award. Mm -hmm. um, so many people apply. For my award, there's only one a year, so that's how difficult it is. But um, you know, Americans want to invite um, you know scholars from international scholars to come to um, to come to the United States, just to be you know to be immersed and involved in, in the way of life in the United States, but also to take that back to our own countries and share what we've done. So that's my aim over the next year is to share my learning experiences and and my research project here in Aotearoa. Hmm. We'll probably get and see your research project soon, but. Man, your trip, man, it was cool, so cool. Because you, you've been to the States before, right? But not in this capacity, eh? Not, um, not, not, not in this capacity, no. Um, um, I've been to this, I've been, you know, beforehand I've been to Alaska, Hawaii, um, New York City. Um, but I visited more than, you know, I think eight states in the United States during my five months there. I had such a diverse um experiences um you know working with native american communities um yeah so this was the most amazing international experience so far of my life mm, mm, mm. because you had to live there and, and be at the university campus and study and see what they're doing that's pretty cool but so did they give you a program what you had to do to for them to offer them like what with your knowledge coming from new zealand as well going over there what was your sort of like um, itinerary like? What what did they expect you to to learn? What, what did they expect to learn from you? So I had to when I applied, I created a research project, um, and it was approved uh, by by the University of Massachusetts, um, and so yeah, did the interview process. It took me you know about three months um, to for the application to for me to finish. 
and then did the interview process, got got in. Um, and so it was my own project. So this is what this is different from a say a master's student or an or a PhD student who have a full on program. I got to create the program myself, mm. everything. And I like to be busy, and and I make sure that I'm busy. So. You know, before I left, I, 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 you know, planned where I'm going in the United States, who I'm meeting with, um, who am I going to speak with, um, the lectures that I did, the you know, the public lectures that I did, um, and which communities and villages that I'm going to go to. So I had that planned and mapped out beforehand. Mm -hmm. So I knew that when I was going in, this is what I was going to follow, and I kept, I kept to it. Yeah, yeah. So you had to do. You just made up your own project. So my my question was like, what did they expect to learn? But now it's like, what what did you expect to teach them? <laughs> yeah, I, I so I this is what I made sure I wanted to go and you know we talk about Maori leading the world in terms of you know indigenous education, language revitalization, and all those things. But I really wanted to make sure that when I went, that I didn't say that you know Maori are the greatest at doing this and doing that. Actually, that's not that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to share what's worked for us, and if it and, and I wanted to share those resources with other indigenous communities, and they could pick it up. And if it, and if they wanted to pick it up. Please, you know, take it and and use it to to support your own community. But I'm also a learner myself, so I saw some really amazing um, projects and activities um, that other indigenous groups and universities were doing. So it was quite reciprocal, um, in in, in my experiences there. But um, yeah, um, you know, nearly five months, um, and it was really really awesome. Mm -hmm. Because I think one of the things that I I probably assumed that they would want to learn is the indigenous side of stuff. Like being from New Zealand, um, I feel like out of all the indigenous all over the world, like New Zealand has probably got it the best out of everybody around the world. So, so the thing, and I, I learned that from um, uh, reading the book, uh, Conversation of New Zealand by Alan Duff. He said mm. that because he went, he went and lived in France and he came back after 10 years and he, he just saw the, you know, that, that Māori were like sort of better off than any other indigenous all over the world. Was, was that one of the things that you you took from learning um, the indigenous side of things over there in America? Because obviously it's American Indians, but then like you know, there's far fewer of them. Huh? So um, Native Americans make up one percent of mm. the of the United States population, and within those those Native American communities. There are, you know, there are so many different languages, and the thing we have with Aotearoa New Zealand is that we've only got one, you know, language, different dialects in Aotearoa, but one language, and so that makes it easier for us in terms of the revitalization of our language. But I was sharing things like most schools teach the Maori language, um, that we've really mainstreamed, you know, the Maori language and culture in New Zealand society, and you know, when I was showing mm. examples of what we do, the Native American communities just go, "Wow, that's." This perhaps something that that's so far out there. We want to reach that as well, mm. but that will require so much resourcing and effort and people to shift their attitudes as well towards indigenous mm. communities. Because, you know, I met one lady at a university, and she goes, "I've never met a Native American in my life," and I just looked at her and go, "Wow," you know, um, you know, and for. 
and then I said to her, well, have you actually made the effort to proactively go out there? Um, so that could be, for example, going to museums or going to indigenous art exhibitions or powwows, which are their big festivals. The powwows are amazing. Um, and so cool that you've made that comment, but actually you actually need to be proactive um, in, in finding um, Native American um, people to, to speak with and, and to, to listen to. Mm. Yeah, because it's 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 funny hearing you get the reaction from them about when you teach them how what it's like living in New Zealand being indigenous because you know we're not even perfect here you know like there's still racism around here and you know we're still on the back foot you know and but we're we probably have do have more stuff than other countries do like you know with with, with the Maori language um, trying to pronounce it now and, and people on the news pr- pronouncing the words properly now and stuff like that so. Yeah, we still got a long way here, and but here, like it's far from you know from where we are over there in America. It's like, it's like, man, there's a lot of work to do around the world. Well, well, our, our Maori culture and our Maori language is what makes Aotearoa very unique mm. and special, and so um, and other nations and communities across the world they, they see that. Um, yep, um, it's, it's great that we've made so much progress with our language and culture. We've still got a lot to do. Um, there's still a tiny minority um, in, in this country that are still consistently showing racist attitudes, um, and we see it across social media, etc. But I think that will hopefully um, die down, and that actually our younger generation is showing us what it means to be um, proud that we can be, our, you know, that we can be proud of our indigenous culture and language and people here. Because the you're right, the language is a big deal over here and a big deal for trying to move move forward with indigenous cultures around the world. Did when they when they heard you say that or when they see it and do do they do they think like, oh, okay, we should start from there. This is where we should start start with the language first. Well, you know, um I mean similar stories that you had um people coming into the indigenous world you know, I mean, taking land, taking people, you know, taking their land, taking their resources, Native Americans, and so and, and pushing them to the side, and and with that, they lost their language, they lost their identity and culture, and that's that's quite normal across uh, the United States. And so, um, there, there's one community that I've met that haven't that hasn't had a fluent speaker of their indigenous language for 150 years. So they're starting from scratch. There are a lot of communities that are starting from scratch. They've created schools where they, you know, they they want to see their language live again. And um, it's really cool because one of the schools said that they use Maori language as an inspiration to them, mm. like following the same model of teaching. I thought that was really beautiful, and I definitely pay tribute to some of our elders that have, you know, that you know. Don't forget that Maori had to protest, they had to march, and had to fight for the exi- their existence and their language. And so it just didn't come, you know, easily. That we actually had to struggle with that. Mm. So, so what? So what do you think the answer is then for uh, the American natives to to push their agenda or try to, you know, get more awareness of their culture around to be similar to to, to New Zealand? I know. New Zealand's still got a long way to go, still, but to catch up, I guess. Yeah, um, you know, there, you know, I went to a couple of schools, and what what was very obvious is resourcing. Mm-hmm. You know, they need to be able to resource and and support um, uh, schools. So there was one school that wanted to um, 
um, to rebuild their buildings, uh, their school buildings, because um, the waiting lists are quite um, large for the school in terms of young, more people, more young people coming through. So they're fundraising, things like that. So if we resource our, our buildings, resource our teachers, um, so they can really support the, the kids in the community, um, that's one thing. Another thing is attitudes as well. You know, the attitudes that indigenous peoples exist, they absolutely do exist in the United States. Although they only make up 1% of the population, they're still a really integral part of the American community. So I think those stories need to be shared as well mm. about their existence, about their history as well. Because another thing is, is politics too, eh? Like how they get the culture get integrated into politics. It's just like New Zealand. Like um, we've got, you know, certain things in place in our, in our system that that caters for um, indigenous. But if you look at America, I know you're a fan of uh, American politics and how it works and all that kind of stuff over there. Probably talk, I'm going to talk to you about that soon. But there, there's nothing in it for it, eh? Well, um, there are some tribes that are doing well. The Navajo Nation, I mm. mean, the Navajo Nation, they've got their own tribe, um, their political tribal systems as well, yeah. which are quite sophisticated and, and, and interesting. And um, I really wanted to learn more of that. And so the Navajo language is quite strong. Um, they've got books. Um, you know, I, I, I purchased a couple of books, the children's books mm. in the Navajo language, which I think is, is, is beautiful. And um, one thing that I was sharing with them is actually how you know, music um, here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, we've got so much more music coming through in the Māori language, and it's actually becoming more in the mainstream as well. So, you know, and young people love music, so that's one way of really um, making, you know, making the language relevant to young people. Um, and so, yeah, so that's just a, yeah, just a couple of things. Mm. So you're you're there, yeah, let's talk about politics now, you were there during the time when, Stuff was going on with, um, I think it was uh, uh, Trump getting arrested, and stuff like that. And then you had, I don't, I don't know how you feel about um, Joe Biden, but I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of weird. He's kind of, it's, it's probably not the person they wanted in the end. I think. Well, I, I think with that particular role being president, you need to be someone who seems to be stable. Mm. And I think that Joe Biden brings the stability, yeah. um, and he's he's doing a real good job in that in, in that in that sense as well. But his execution seems a bit off, like being seen now as that weird scene now is getting thrown about, and then you you see the the little video snippets and that. Yeah, I mean he's also very experienced. He's been in politics what 50, 50 years or something yeah. like that, and he, as the former vice president as well, um, endorsed by um, the legend Obama. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah um but the the, the Trump thing um yeah that, that that was very interesting we were watching that carefully when um around the New York um New York when he was expected to be in New York and we had a lot of republicans uh then you know the 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 making America great republicans like Marjorie Green Taylor and, and mm. all of them were there um trying See, to he's divided the republicans as, in, he as well, eh? Yes. Like there's half of them don't don't like him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. Um the party has seems to be a little off. Mm. Um it's important that there are two political parties that are healthy. You know, you you need you need a healthy opposition always. Um but they just seems they seem totally just out of it at the moment. Yeah. 
So mad. It's funny because when I spent time overseas, like you get engrossed in all their stuff when you're there, and you, and and New Zealand's the phone call away, so you don't really, you know, know what's going on. You know, you just hear stuff, but you're always engrossed in what's happening in America. Oh, when when you were there, like how how was that connection for you with New Zealand, and then you know where where you're staying. Well, let me tell you, um, with with New Zealand politics, um, the the most biggest issue that Americans will talk to me about was Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. Oh, they absolutely, oh, yeah. they absolutely loved her yeah. in Boston. They loved her. My Uber drivers, they loved her. <laughs> they loved the New Zealand response to COVID as well, because mm. how we kept the death rate so very extremely low. So they loved that approach, and so every time. She was the most mentioned uh, New Zealander every time anybody wanted to have a conversation with me, and I think that's something that we could be that we can be proud of. Um, yeah, so when she stepped down, um, that was quite a. Well, you were over there when she stepped down. I, I was over there. Yeah. I, I wanted to say it was a shock, but part of me thinking it wasn't a shock, and um, you know, um, to lead a campaign. Um, so we've got an, obviously we have an election campaign this year. You need to be in it 100%, actually more than 100%, and the energy needs to be there. But when you think about the last five years, she's been in charge of a COVID response. I, I, if we didn't have COVID, I think she'd be running again. I think mm. she'd be running again. But that that would have taken her a toll on her. And I just think she became prime minister at 37. She had a child while in office. And I think that's that's to be commended. Oh, and I'm really, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm so proud that, you know, I'm a big fan of um, women in leadership too. Mm. And I was really, you know, really happy. So I I don't know Chris Hipkins, prime minister Chris Hipkins, Hipkins well. Um, I know him as the former minister of education. Does some pretty good work there. So, yeah, I look forward to seeing what he can bring to the table. Yeah, because when you think of it, you, you just did a rundown on her um, her uh, being prime minister, and to me, it's like three strikes you're out. She had like like um, the the mosh the mosh shootings, which was bad. She had a child, you know, which was another thing she had to do, and then the the COVID probably tipped it over. Eh? But then it was the second year COVID with the lockdowns when the country started to get um, divided. With all the mandate stuff, so that was an, another thing for her to handle. Eh? And if you think about it, yeah, you're right. It's like, man, she did good, like taking care of up until the up until two months ago. But you can probably understand why she had to step down. Eh? Absolutely, and just mm. with that mandate advice, that was from the top public health advisors in this country mm. it wasn't just something that she thought up on the spot that was the official advice given to her that that you know that in order to prote truly protect uh, new zealanders that everyone needed to be vaccinated um and so we have to remember that advice came from public um, health officials um i think that the first lockdown i think we all you know we all accepted that as very being very important we didn't know what this was we saw thousands dying in europe um um in the states as well and so i thought that was the right decision i think new zealanders tend to be a little bit ho-ha i've been told what to do so when it was that second big lockdown particularly yeah. in tamaki makoto auckland which i think was over 100 days i think we were sort of over it then um and i think that you know new zealanders don't like to be told necessarily what to do but again, um, if you look at what happens in the States, for example, I'm very proud of our, our response and a lot of the people shared with me how how 
how really important her leadership was when it came to you know, when it came to Jacinda, Prime Minister Jacinda. Mm, she was very popular over there, and I remember a few interviews she had over there. They were like saying, "Oh, can we have you as our, our president?" <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, um, she did the Harvard commencement speech. I think that was last year. Mm. So you know, that's given to that's a really important speech that you know one international you know leader in the in the world and she was selected for that and you know she did an amazing job and she's going back to, she's going to Harvard very soon was she yeah oh, so okay. she's got a position at Harvard yeah and um in this um Kennedy school um which is you know which is a really big deal mm. and so man they're going to be really lucky to have her and the knowledge that she has yeah so did anyone comment about your accent? Your New Zealand oh accent? Gosh. Everyone eh? <laughs> To the point that I got conscious of speaking. So every time I got to the, the till in the shop, I thought, oh, okay, get ready. Get ready. And then I go and I you know, and I speak and um and they just look at me. And I go, I know. <laughs> um yeah, at times at times it got it got better. I got a little bit conscious as well. There were time there were times that you know, I stayed with um, I stayed with a family for five weeks um, at the UMass Amherst campus, mm. and they had never heard a New Zealand accent. And um, so, what was their reaction like? <laughs> well, they told me just don't. You know, they said, "Oh, we've never heard this, and it's going to take us a bit of time to understand." Um, so that's crazy, eh? When they say that, because we were just talking normally. We were talking normally, and then I, <laughs> and then I, and I, so I was I was very conscious about. How fast I was speaking, so I slowed it down just a little bit. Mm. Um, yeah, um, but you know, um, overall, um, I'm generally proud of the New Zealand accent, but it's very different. And then there were times when I would, you know, I was so surrounded by American accents that I'll turn the TV, watch the New Zealand accent, thinking, "Is that how we talk? Oh, really? Is that how <laughs> we speak?" <laughs> it's such a rough and interesting way of speaking. Um, yeah, the New Zealand accent is very unique. Yeah, I was just thinking about how I grew up, like, you know, just when we watched all these American movies, you, you don't even pick up the American accent, eh? Not really. And I remember asking my um, my cousin, like, man, is that an American accent? I can't even, I can't even pick it up because the movie is just a movie, you know? Well, have, have you noticed that a lot of the young kids are developing sort of American accents <laughs> here in this area? I know a lot of people are just putting on YouTube things for kids to watch, <laughs> and I've noticed that a lot of kids are starting to develop some sort of interesting, you know, hybrid perhaps accent, and it's fascinating yeah. because you know with YouTube and I guess with Netflix and and Disney Plus and all, all those different streaming modules, um, our kids are starting to sound very interesting. Yeah, they are because you know when you talk about kids on devices, you know, you're right, like. That's what they're hearing. All they're hearing is the American accent of the cartoons and yeah. all of that. So they're pronouncing those words. Yeah. Apple. <laughs> I'm a big fan of New Zealand made content, TV content, and I wish yeah. our kids, and I wish, I wish we could see more New Zealand made mm. um, children's content as well. Because I, I mean, I, I grew up on it. I'm mean, grew up on what now? Yeah, what now? Yeah, yeah what now? I grew play up school. on what now? Yeah, play, oh, I think I'm a bit too um, young for play school, but definitely, <laughs> but definitely what now? <laughs> definitely what now? Jason yeah. Gunn. And so um, we just. Perhaps need more New Zealand content, I think. And thingy, <laughs> thingy. Remember thingy? Yeah, I do remember thingy. <laughs> and and there was and there was a, a squirt which was like a um, the penguin. And you know, I don't know if you if maybe maybe you're a little bit old for that, <laughs> but um, yeah, an animated penguin. Mm. I remember good squirt. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I grew up on. So when you landed there, it was it was winter. Eh? Yeah, it, it was winter. It was freezing. Was January, you, you December. Oh, December. December. Oh, yeah, yeah. Early December. White Christmas. Uh, how about minus twenty two degrees? Shucks. <laughs> <laughs> how about minus? That's the coldest it got. Yeah. And um, so universities closed. The schools closed. Um, that's because obviously minus twenty two. That's dangerous. That's extremely dangerous weather. Um, and I, you know, I, I made sure that I went shopping to buy winter clothes as well. Right. Um, but it was snowy, it was cold, um, but I was there for the experience. So. Yeah, because when they, they hooked you up with a family to, to stay with? Oh, yeah. So um, that was at UMass Amherst for a month, but for about three and a half months, I stayed in my own apartment in the oh. city, in the Boston city. Right. And was that far from the university? No, it was a it was a train ride. So the trains are everywhere in Boston. So we literally mm. walked twenty seconds, got on the we call it the red line. Oh, we Boston's got it, the red line. Got yeah. on the red line, um, took me to JFK Station, UMass Station, and then the university provides free um, free shuttle services from the train right. station to the university campus. So mm. um, they're like every five minutes. So they're quite constant. They go up to like three a.m. in the morning. Mm. So yeah, we. Just public transport. I didn't drive. I decided not to drive um, in the States only because obviously, you know, with the drive on the other side of the road, the driver's seat is on the left-hand side, which mm. would scare me, which would confuse me, <laughs> and I know I would have an accident. So I decided not to drive and use public transport or, mm. or Uber or Lyft. Because public transport, you know, was way better than here. In Boston, yes, yeah. but not not in the country. Right. Um, town. So when I went to UMass Amherst, which is in the middle of nowhere, can I add, Amherst was um, it's a beautiful campus. It was massive. The problem with UMass Amherst is that you'd have to walk just over 1.5 kilometers from one end of the campus to the other. Oh yeah, that's how massive what? it. I know, that's how insanely <laughs> massive it was. They do have like a bus. Yeah. The students drive the buses. Oh. So the, yeah, the students are the bus drivers of the town buses. So when they don't have classes, they like they look like twenty, twenty one. I'd never seen such a young and so like, oh, they have this they have their like university bags oh, done, the shift is done, so they swap with another driver. You know, typically here in Aotearoa, you know, the drivers are usually a little bit older. Mm. They look like they were nineteen, twenty. <laughs> they were bus drivers. They did a pretty good job. So yeah, yeah so um and they were free buses as well, but um yeah, but if you lived further out in the countryside, man, the bus, um, the public transport wasn't great. Mm. So that 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 university, that's part of UMass, eh? Yeah. Is so it? UMass has, I think, three major campuses. Right. The UMass Amherst is the big flagship one. It's the massive, the big, big. It's one of the top public universities. Um, is that other than the country? Yes, that's two hours away from Boston. So right. I spent the first three months in Boston, then I. Then I wanted another experience. I went to the UMass Amherst one, which is a two-hour bus ride, which is in the countryside. So totally different experiences from the city uh, to the countryside. Um, so yeah. Wow. <laughs> so what was the experience like in the in the countryside? Oh, it was. <laughs> well, concentration of the work. Um, it was. <laughs> it was. Handing the books. <laughs> <laughs> It was like, you know, in Boston, there's so much to do and see. Yeah. You could just fill your days up with so mm. many amazing things to do. Um, because you find when you're in the city, there's not enough time in the day to see everything. Oh, right? that's right. And yeah. Boston's full of awesome things. I went to, 
I mean, I, I lived across the road from um, the Boston um, Central Park, which is the most oldest public park in the States. It was built in the 1600s. Mm. And they just had the, um, the Martin Luther King Memorial statue. It was mm. a big, massive statue. Um, so they built that. Then I went to the opening of that, the unveiling of, of that. That was cool. Um, so there were heaps to do in Boston. I can't say that about Amherst. <laughs> Honestly, it was in the countryside. It was in the middle of nowhere. It was a student town, essentially. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah. So I saw, I saw your photo when you went to the, the Boston Celtics game. Who, who did they play? The Golden State Warriors. Oh, right. That right. was a main yeah. game. <laughs> i got to say, I'm not like... I'm I'm not a massive bas you know, NBA basketball fan, but I went for the atmosphere. Yeah, the atmosphere was electric. It was amazing. So the the stadium is like so you you know you hop on a train, you will get off the train, you go up to the stairs up from the train station, the stadium's there. So it was accessible. Mm. Uh, it was amazing. I loved it so much. Um, I didn't realize how passionate NBA <laughs> fans yeah. they were booing. I'm like, it's just a game, like swearing. I'm like, bruh. I saw eight year olds following their father. This eight, I saw this eight year old, you know, young kid. Mm. You know, he was like, boo, boo, you're, you know, swearing. Because he was following what the father was doing. Yeah. And the father was swearing. And I keep looking at them and thinking, holy heck, it's just a game. But nope, not to these guys. <laughs> this is a religion. Um, I loved it. It was mm. cool. I think the Celtics just won. Yeah. Golden oh. State Warriors, it was, you know, they were pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah the, they just beat um, Sacramento this morning, actually, for the first round of the playoffs. So right. they're, in, they're in the semifinal with uh, LA Lakers. Yeah. yeah, that was my first NBA game. That I, I, I thought I was going to go to Washington Wizards game. Right. But then I had a lot of my friends say, why are you going to Washington Wizards? <laughs> they're hopeless. <laughs> well, I, I said, oh, because I'm going to Washington, D.C. And I didn't get to go to that game. Mm. Um, but um, well, I was so glad I went to the Boston. Yeah, that would have been. Yeah. That, that's one of my things to do. Eh? Yeah. My bucket list to watch the NBA game. Yeah. But you watch it on the East Coast. That's uh, it's probably even more rare because if anyone Kiwis go to America, it's always LA. I mean, yeah. The West and they'll go yeah. to LA. LA, LA Laker game. Yeah. It's probably the common one to go to. But no, you go now West, I mean, out East. Yeah. To those games, man. Yeah. Um, well, for the Washington Wizards, I was trying to read up on as much of the history stuff. I thought, okay, they're probably a lot. You know, in terms of the, ta the standings and table, they're a bit down. But mm. I thought, I, I always support underdogs. I'm a, I'm a big underdog supporter yeah. in all sports. Yeah. Um, but um, hopefully, when I go back, I'll I'll go watch some more games. So, the, what do you think of the the Boston accent? They got the distinctive one, eh? Like, distinctive accent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they've got a strong, like Italian community and Irish community. Mm. So. Yeah, that sort of infused in the English accent there in Boston. It's a very distinctive accent. Don't ask me to say any words, but yeah, very, <laughs> very distinctive. Um, and it's quite mocked. So when I went to yeah. other parts of the States, when I went to like San Francisco or New Mexico or Virginia, they would mock the, the Boston accent. Mm. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, there's films of, of it strong, the films that are based there. Mm-hmm. In Boston, and there are some stars that come from there too. That you know have talk about the old, they used to have the Boston accent because mm. they grew up there, like Ben Affleck and uh, Matt right. Damon, right. Um, Adam Sandler, right? All those guys, you know. Wow, they're from Boston. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, from the area, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, from the state. So. Nice. Yeah, man. Oh, that that's awesome. We went to a game. 
Did you go see the other games or just possible? That, 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 that was it, just possible. I'm just trying to think. Oh, I missed out on the Red Sox. Um, oh, I did go to. So college sports is quite big yeah. in the states. Yeah. Oh, and did I, you go to any college games at UMass? I only went to um, softball. All right. Yeah, I went yeah. to UMass. I watched some of the UMass play softball. Mm. I'm a, I love watching softball. But uh, the facilities they got, eh? Like that's unbelievable. It was like <sighs> bloody more than what the. Auckland Blues, have you? Well, <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. It depends on the university. Mm. I've got to tell you, the University of Virginia, yeah. so I went to that. They're, the stadiums, they're like oh, flash. Wow. These, uni- these college universities have the most flashiest facilities I've ever seen. So you just you drive in Charlottesville, which is the University of Virginia, who are quite big high up there in, in the sports sporting college world, and the, the, it's mad. It's like, mm. wow. All this money and all resources into sports, so yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you know, college sports is, is massive in the states. I mean, th- that's one thing I'll be buzzing now. Then, like being in on campus like that, like like UMass or any any other American um, university, and just go witness or go see the facilities, eh? The basketball courts they got there, the stadiums, the the American football, man, just yeah. just massive, eh? They they do think everything big, eh? They do, do if, if they've got the money. So UMass mm. Boston didn't quite have the money, um, so it doesn't have you know as much as as, as flash facilities as other universities. But definitely University of Virginia was probably the flashiest one I've been to. Uh, UMass Amherst has pretty good facilities as well. UMass Amherst, mm. uh, but UMass Boston's probably um, not as not as not as wealthy, uh, but they're not necessarily known for sports as well. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. But overall, it was it was pretty cool to watch some of those games. Mm. Did you meet any other people from New Zealand? I did. Yeah. I did. Living um, there or just visiting? Or um, studying. Yeah. So we had a Waitangi Day event. Oh, true. And um, we met some of the. So How big was that? Well, fifteen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we we ate um, cra- um raw lobsters. Lobsters quite big in Boston, so we went to lobster. Not my favorite food. I probably won't go again. But um. Yeah, it's quite messy. You know, you had these like, you had to wear these plastic gloves and just right. use the cutting things for the, the lobster and the crabs. Um, so, so Fulbrighters or people who go to Boston tend to go to, surprise, surprise, Harvard University because everyone wants to go to Harvard or MIT. Right. They want to go there. Right. So again, I had to justify like, oh, why would people ask, why would you want to go to UMass Boston? And I said, well, because it's a public university, I'm a big believer in accessible education. So if you go to MIT or Harvard University, they, basically that's more about the connections that you make and the doors that open just because you say that you went to Harvard. Right. So so many op- those op- so many doors are open just for those who go to Harvard or go to MIT. Um, and mm. that's what that's you know, you belong to you're you're a member of this exclusive um, club so basically I think you're paying more than just for the education but you're paying for the opportunities mm. that come um, from there and um, it's it's thousands I mean it's it's a couple of hundred thousand dollars um, to attend Harvard um, that's what all my friends were saying wow. you either have to have wealthy parents or you get a scholarship because mm. they don't have a loan system like we do here right no it's it's just case by case on a um, case by case basis, ma- massively, yep, and um, it's it's still quite expensive. Even the public university education is still quite expensive. Mm. Um, you know, yeah, as you know, I'm a big fan of ex- you know education is empowering. 
Um, it can change lives, and that's why we need to make it accessible. And that's what the message that I can consistently push forward is mm. that, um, you know, um, for you know, for myself, um, education changed my life and the life of my family. So um, I'm a product of that, of formal education, and I think we need to make it more accessible because some of these Ivy League universities aren't accessible, um, and I don't think that's what education is about. Mm. You know, with, with the stories you have told, the the people you met over there the um, americans like what are some things that were shocked to to find out from you the, how we live here in, in new zealand because one thing that comes to mind is the, the health insurance thing <laughs> oh, and i can i can i can imagine them like going like just being like what the hell you guys don't have that like what um <laughs> The surprise that I can walk into a hospital right now mm. if I were ever sick and get treatment for free. Mm. Um, it costs thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to visit you if you have a, a, an accident without insurance. Um, insurance doesn't even pay for it all as well. They only pay, you know, some insurance companies only pay for 80 percent of it, and that still leaves you with a massive, massive bill. I don't get that. Um, you know, we've you know Canada up the road from the states. They have something similar to us as well. I mean, we prioritise the importance of accessible healthcare for New Zealanders. We still could do a little bit better. You know, I, for example, um, I think that the dental healthcare in this country that needs to be there needs to be addressed. Yeah, because um, and I, I'm hoping that you know, the Labour Party uh, may want to look into that. Um, you know that. So many people, you know, they suffer mentally um, and physically because of dental pain, and it's uh, it's painful and it's not cheap, and so I'm hoping that could be a, 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 an election issue um, for a political party to pick up this year. Um, but yeah, um, some of the other things. One question they that um I got was they couldn't believe that non Maori could participate in Maori things. Like because that you know like haka or wow like do really do non Maori really like do haka or do that <laughs> or do non Maori really learn the language yeah it's it's part of our national identity mm. that the Maori language and culture is for everybody and so they really couldn't understand that Indigenous people you know got surprised like wow the language is taught in most all schools yeah um so those are some of the, yeah those are some of the surprising things that people got as well. Um, you know, I think with us, we've got I think we've got eight universities in, in in New Zealand as well, and so I mean, I went to I came from a city in Boston where there were more than thirty. Mm. Um, so, and you know, there's a really big deal on like creating like an identity based on what university. That's a big thing. You know, once you go to a university, you you rip those colors for life, mm. right? The mascot, Here, oh, the mascot, that. the shirts, the 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 slogans, the the dance, yeah. the the chants, etc. What's the UMass uh, mascot? Go oh, bears uh, or something? Go tigers? <laughs> no, um, it's a it's a beacon. A beacon, like um, the lighthouse. Oh, so go lighthouse. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a it's a lighthouse with the lights. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool though because yeah. um Boston um you know um. You know, when the ships are coming in, they relied on the lighthouse. So the beacon yeah. is, is, is is the mascot. Is Plymouth uh, Rock there? Plymouth Rock? Is that in Massachusetts? No. Um, I think it is. 
Yeah, I think it is. Is that why the lighthouse there? So the per- there are three. When the, when the Puritans landed, we yeah, had the that, lighthouse. That's, that's right. That's right. So the lighthouse. <laughs> no, there is an animal. I've got. To, I've got to remember what the animal was. It looked like a duck, but like a halfway between a kiwi and a duck. Oh. But the, 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 so the, but the beacon is in all the logos mm. of, of of UMass. Um, See, Americans are good at doing all that stuff, eh? Because that's what I admire about American sports culture, is that, that it's built up from when you're a kid to schools first. Because every high school you go to, you're going to be the same thing. You're going to be aligned to that high school forever. Yes. And aligned to the mascot, aligned to the colors. Yes. Aligned the cheerleaders and all that kind of stuff, sport, whatever sport. Then you go yep. to university doing the same thing. Yeah. And then after university, you still got your connection to the school. Yeah. But then whatever city you're in, you got the connection to the, the sports team of, of that city. You know, yeah. but you've always, always, especially in the university people, because, man, even the old ones, eh, the alumni, like the old, the old, old men, like they're still repping those colors, repping the university. Harder. But I've also got to say one of the most contentious issues in the United States at the moment right now is regarding the Native American mascots of, of the sport teams. Right. Yes, that's a really big issue at the moment. So there's pressure for some of these sporting teams to change the mascots and the names, because they did that to the um, the Redskins, yes, the Washington I Redskins. Mean, they I mean, that in itself. Now I it's mean, the Washington Commanders now, but they got rid of the Redskin name. But it's it's it's, it's the it's the there's the tomahawk, um, you know, action and which is totally, um, you know, discriminatory and racist towards Native American tribes who have continually asked to get rid of. You know, it's not um, to get rid of these mascots and these slogans and these headdresses that people tend to wear with that. You know, they'll just go to a game and they'll do their face and that totally goes against the ethos of of Native American tribes. But it's not just the professional groups, it's also schools. Schools have these mascots as well. So that's, that's currently, that's a really big issue and I've spoken to a lot of people on these panels and these groups that are working with the schools to change uh, these mascots, which is hard because, you know, when something's been institutionalized for decades, right? Decades, it's hard to make change. Um, we've seen that, we've seen some change in the United States. If you look at the Canterbury Crusaders, right? They changed, they didn't change the name because there was controversy around the, the name Crusaders, but they changed the logo. Yeah, I don't know logo, if you've seen yeah. the logo, but it's yeah. got a sort of like a Marty. And I, th- I think I know the logo is quite nice, actually. Mm. Um, but Because they, the Crusaders, they were, it was lined to the Crusades. Which was pretty bad. Those days, eh? <laughs> well involved, yeah, you know, yeah. Deaths and killings of you know, indigenous yeah, yeah. peoples and yeah. things like that. So, um, yeah. So that's that's that. Some some of the issues anyway here there. I wonder what they're gonna do with the Kansas City Chiefs then, because it's still the Chiefs. The stadium's name is Arrowhead Stadium, and they still got the. I think they have like. Um, the head, feathers and the headdress head and yeah. that stuff. Yeah. I wonder what's going to happen. So, they're um, going to change. Or? Groups that I've spoken to have said that's unacceptable. They won't change. Again, um, these are usually the communities or the fans around, you know, the, the, the diehard fans almost are against the changing of it. You know, it's, you know, we hear the same thing. Like, oh, we've been doing it for many, many, this has been a tradition, you know, my parents, my grandparents, etc. We want to keep this. But I think, um, you know the conversations of of how Native American communities have been discriminated. Um, things have been taken without their knowledge, um, without their without you know the Native American groups having not given this um, to these particular um, sporting groups. 
you know, I th- and I think it's it's healthy that the debate's out there. Mm. Because is it is it the fact that that they weren't asked to yep. use these things? Oh, yeah, but also depicting Native Americans in a bad light, depicting them. You know, you know, terms like the Redskins. Right. I mean, in right, itself. Right, right, right. I mean, I mean, yeah. that, that needs that needs no further explanation. Mm. Um, also. The, the actions of the tomahawk chop when you see that in some of the you know in one particular team that you've just mentioned um that you know i mean that's also what native americans have asked that to have stopped you know stopped doing that mm. um and things like that yeah maybe more a better taste they like uh maybe the white cattle chiefs you know that they got all like their culture stuff on their uniform and stuff yep hey. yep and and designs that that consult the Native right, American tribes, yeah. that involve them in decision making. Are we good at doing that? We do that all the time, eh? Do we? Because um, I know we did. Yeah, um, we, I know that they asked the iwi up in uh, Bear Islands when they did the Bear Island Airport. Yep. They had some um, artifacts in that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. We, we we I'll say we're getting better at doing that. Mm. We're getting better. But not really. <laughs> well, but no, we, we we're getting better because it, um, you know, ticking the boxes are okay. Um, but I think if it's meaningful, if those connections are meaningful, if those relationships are developed further, mm. and I think that that's that's really important. Mm. Yeah. Did Did you get caught up in American culture in terms of like the capitalism over there? You know, because I remember when I went to Hawaii for the first time, mm. all I saw when I looked around was was everywhere you looked you could spend your money and to me i felt disgusted right you know it was just like a and it felt like a normal thing like i could spend my money all the time and have no money and then i see the homeless sort of thing and then i'm like man what's, this is you know if i went if I, if I went to the bathroom and there was a vending machine in the bathroom i wouldn't be surprised <laughs> you know <laughs> um i gotta say i gotta say i love shopping yeah I gotta say that the variety in the clothing stores, the variety in the supermarkets, overwhelming. Yeah. I currently miss the 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 American supermarkets. There's so much variety. Mm. I I so I just loved walking through the aisles, thinking, "Wow, you got that product, you've got that product," and I filled my bag with goodies from the supermarket just to remind me, um, you know, some of the food that I love there and some of the drinks that I love there. So definitely, the variety was quite strong there and. Amazon, the Amazon store. I haven't been. I heard about them. The one you scan. Yeah. Or you just walk through the door and they already scanned you. Eh? So, Amazon's okay. It's, it's, I want to say it's amazing because it's accessible and it's easy. So I go on my phone. I'd order you know anything that I wanted on Amazon, and I'd pick the location and I'd walk over to the location and collect the stuff. You know, and I did that quite often, maybe too often. But again. Perhaps kills local businesses, small businesses as well. Um, and we, you know, we know that big, you know, things like Amazon, um, you know, does you know, does that. Um, but the convenience there, I think Americans love convenience, and that's what something that I completely learned straight away is about the convenience of buying things, and if it's not available in stores, to order that. Um, yeah, so yeah, that was part of the lifestyle there. The um. The Amazon one I saw was the supermarket, the new Amazon supermarket. Was there one over there? 
Have you seen it? It's the one where you, because you just, you, as long as you got your phone, yeah. you just walk through the door and it knows it's you. Oh, that? Yes, I saw lots and of those. all you do is pick up the items yeah. and yeah. walk out. Yes. And it's already taken off your account. Yeah, I saw a few of those, yeah. That's out of it, That, that is. <laughs> I, I didn't do that. I was scared to do that <laughs> because I'm not sure why, but um, yeah, I definitely saw a few of it. Actually, I saw, I saw, I saw um, one of those stalls. Um, at the Boston Celtics game, um, right. it was like a like a little dairy sort of thing that you mm. could walk in, scan your card, pick whatever you want, and walk out. Just yeah. no no attendee there. No, just do it. And wow, yeah, that's so it's all about convenience, right? That is out of it. That is out of it. And you know, Americans are good at doing that, and the demand for it is so strong. Eh? Like, see the the thing I know, the thing I've learned when I was over there, like was just the convenient part of it, but just how they can cater for. For everybody, you know, if they, if if there if there was someone there wanting something, they'll find a way to cater for that person. You know, it doesn't matter how small, how many small numbers it is. If you're gonna make money, do it. You know, definitely. Yeah, it's supposed to be the land of opportunity. Yeah, but you know, that's it's kind of it's kind of the place to be, have that kind of lifestyle. Eh? Like, I mean, when I, when I think about here, like it's like. We're slow. Hey, it's, it's much slower lifestyle here. Eh? They uh, say they say Auckland's fast, but not compared to where you. Not in eh? Boston. <laughs> I was in New York City. Not to but it's not to Boston or New York City. Um, it's quite slow here. But I, when I first got here, supermarket supermarket prices are expensive oh, yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. And so such that small time you're away. You were away six months. Yeah, five months. Yeah. So prices was diff- different when you left, and yeah. it's gone up. Eh? It's gone up since you've been here. Back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's only been six months. Yep. Um, food prices are much cheaper in the States. Mm. Um, here it's, it's, it's expensive. Um, you know, we talk about like uh, food sovereignty, um, accessibility of food. Um, such a big issue here um, that the, the prices of foods in, in here. I think that the introduction of Costco and mm. or perhaps even other supermarkets. I think there needs to be competition around our supermarkets. You know, that will drive the food prices down. It's also good to see that the, the, the government um, acts as a watchdog to watch the, the prices of food, whether or not the supermarkets um, are unfairly, um, you know, have unfair um, food prices uh, mm. for, for, for the consumers. So, yeah, that's been really interesting. Yeah. And... So as the prices, you you come back to different things, right? Prices, and what else? Oh, because you're over there when the floods happen. Yeah, well, yeah. I I walk here and like it doesn't seem like there's been a flood here. No. I mean, everything's <laughs> been cleared, or people aren't necessarily talking about it. But I haven't been to the Hawks Bay or anything. That's where. Oh, they got it bad. They got it bad. Yeah. You know, roads were. I mean, oh, all the roads back in you know Piha area mm. also um, severely damaged in the Hawks Bay. But where I live, it looks pretty pretty normal. Uh, when I got back, it's we got the mayor's budget. Um, what's his name again? The mayor, oh, Brown. <laughs> Wayne Brown. Yeah. Um, you know, wants to cut, um, make cuts to our social services, to our youth groups, to our community services, which is just totally the wrong thing to do. I was going to ask you about that. Like, how do you think? How do you think he's going um, since you've been back? Like, what what have you seen? Is there any changes? Because all I hear is him complaining. <sighs> Like you know, the latest thing is the proposal for the the, the Hubbard Bridge, right? Right. And I still, I still don't think it's it's correct because it's still going along the same lines of that bridge. 
Like, wouldn't you want to divert the traffic to other parts of the of the, of the city? Like, maybe a connection to Devonport somehow to get the traffic away from the bridge. Now you're gonna congest everything now. Yeah. Um. I mean, I get it. More cars, so you need bigger bridge. But now they got the tunnel. Cool. Yeah. Got more lanes on the bridge. Cool. Whatever yep. train over there is good. Big help. A bicycle lane, big help too. But still, you're gonna congest everything in that small space. Hmm. Well, everything that I read about the mayor while I was overseas was controversial. You know, particularly around the late response to the floods. Mm. You know, he didn't. You know, he so he has the power to call, um, and you know, an emergency. It's his responsibility to do so. He did that quite late. Mm. He did that. You know, a few hours after people were running out of their homes with their kids with their flooded homes, he he waited way too long, and the was hopeless. Was just hopeless. Yeah. You know, and also it's the mayor's responsibility to bring. So he's got twenty councillors around him at the table, the governing body table, and he has a really big role to 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 uffy, to support them and to bring them together. And I th- I feel that's quite lacking as well. That he hasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just so you know he makes the most horrible off the cuff comments about particular um, councillors. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's that's just really bad taste, and I I don't think he will last. Um, this will be his final, first and only term as mm. the mayor. I think because of such a low turnout in voting, you know, the reason why he won, you know, and especially the um, whole um, flooding debacle, like he was slow and he was see he had bad press in the beginning, like he's saying he wanted to play. Oh, I gotta go talk to the media. I gotta, I gotta attend this game. You know that kind of stuff comes out, and you're like, this guy. Well, I, I have to say as well is that remember during the election period, that um, on the right you had two other um, me- people who wanted to be mayor. So you had a woman, and then you had um, uh, um, Leo Malloy. Leo Malloy. Yeah. So that you, you you had, um, and so if they had stayed. In that particular race, so they they withdrew. They withdrew to give Wayne Brown a chance, mm-hmm. so they wouldn't take votes from the right. The right, and and if I I strongly believe that if those two had stayed, I think Ifesu would have, would probably be our mayor right now, mm-hmm. because they would have not voted for Mr. Brown, but the other two, um, and so the other two purposely withdrew the nomin that withdrew out of the race to give Wayne Brown a decent chance of a right leaning. Yeah, and they was and they were successful, successful in that. Mm. Typical white guy. He's <laughs> a typical because, man, I don't know. I, I I get like I get he wants to change things, right? But I don't know just the way he does it, his demeanor and that. But I, I get he wants to attack um, AT Auckland Transport because Auckland Transport, I believe, got too much power, and may, making maybe wrong decisions in some of the transport stuff that's happening. Um, I mean, I get it. Like they build these cycleways along businesses that probably didn't need it, you know. But you know, but at the same time, I'm talking about things that happen in in the in the in the city, but not necessarily happening in the suburbs, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's yeah. I, I well, he has he has a role and responsibility um, to bring his councillors together and to. Mm. to to take them on that particular journey, and I don't think he's achieving that right now. Well, he's got um, a, too much of an agenda for himself, you know. Absolutely. Like he went in thinking, okay, um, I don't like these councillors, but they got elected, so I'm not gonna, I will ignore them, 
what, what kind of teamwork is that? It's, it's also the negativity of some of the right-leaning councillors as well mm-hmm. that just, um, I, I feel at times quite embarrassed, actually, that we've got some of these people as, a, as, as our community leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's democracy and they were voted in and that's what you've got to work with. You know, one thing I learned when I did that, um, those podcasts with those um, with Jackie and mm. and um, even Craig Lord, mm-hmm. like what I learned was the structure of how local government works because I didn't really know, and I don't think no one hardly anyone knows how it works. Mm. So with with someone like in your position with the the board, yeah, local board, yeah. local board, yeah. I liked how Craig Lord said he wanted to give local board more power, yeah, because they're the ones on the ground. They're yep. the ones seen all the shit yep. around the community. Yep. And they're the ones that should relay to the councillors. Yep. So councillors give it to the mayor. But that there's a disconnect there. Was there like that disconnect when you were, is like it, the past years you were so on the board? I've been elected for 10 years now. Mm. There is a big disconnect between the local boards and the city councillors. Absolutely, there's a disconnect. Um, it was supposed to be a shared governance. It's supposed to be a shared relationship. But what it's become is it's become a them versus us, and um, I would like I would like local boards to have more decision making power, um, and it's not quite there. Mm. Why do you think it's like that? Because it seems to me there's systems in place for a reason. Well, and was, why, why create why create a local board if it's not you're not <laughs> you're not making it work? Well, someone Rodney Hyde back in twenty maybe two thousand eight two thousand nine had this grand idea of a two-tier system. So your councillors, they make Auckland-wide decisions. Your local boards, they make you know decisions based on your local community. We'll get rid of the five city councils. So it was Manukau, Auckland Central, Waitakere Council, North Shore, um, and one out east. Um, let's get rid of these five councils in Auckland City. Let's make this one super city, but we'll make it these all these um, smaller local boards, and they'll have local decision-making power, and that's it. It just didn't turn out like that at all. We were given very small budgets, very small decision making, and the bureaucracy that we've got to fight against. Um, sometimes it's not even us that makes the decisions; it's those who are employed by Auckland Council, like Auckland Transport, for example, as you mentioned. Mm. Well, that's the most stupidest thing I've ever heard. Because you're right, man. Like, why why make up why make up a system when it doesn't we don't even use it? You know, like. Yeah. It's a flawed system. Yeah, it's a flawed system, and it's it's it, to me when I think about that, I think why is anyone complaining about it? you know why is why isn't why isn't Auckland complaining about the system that doesn't even work? I like I like I would like for us to relook at the system. I think we need to look at what works overseas as well. Is there any overseas models that we could use? Because we've got a really large population, by the way. We're bigger. We're much bigger than Boston, but we're we're very spread out. You know, from say Pukikohe all the way out to uh, Wellsford and Walkworth. So I mean, we're, we're a massively spread out city. Boston is very compact. We're very spread out. And so that, that comes with its challenges, right? Not all areas are equal. I think about like you can't get public transport out in, I guess, Piha, for example. You know, they don't have regular buses that go out there. Um, and so we're, we're not getting equal um, services. Um, and in all our areas of Auckland City, so I, I want to find a model overseas um, that we could, you know, we look at that. Hey, that could actually work for us because this current system doesn't work. Did you find any models in America on your trip when you were looking at? Uh, well, I want to say I got to meet one of my 
idols, who's the mayor of Boston. Oh yeah. Her name is Michelle Wu. She's the first person um of of well, I wanna say of colour because she's a Chinese I think she's Chinese American. Or um Asian American anyway. Um first woman of colour elected. She was first elected as 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 the mayor of Boston. So previously they've been all former male and, you know, white. Um, so yeah, it was exciting. She, and she reminded me of I said to her, Man, you remind me of Jacinda. You know, you <laughs> you know, you're progressive, you're for the people. Um, and I think that's a it's a it's a beautiful thing. You're inclusive, you bring people together. The Boston's one of the it's so diverse, um, and you're doing a really good job and I was really happy to meet her. Mm. You know, when you're over there like these see much of the news of AOC and UFC a- AOC oh, yeah. oh. Yep. and what she's doing and <laughs> yep because I get snippets back yep. here but not the whole picture yeah thing. well she represents uh, <laughs> uh, um, well did um, you get a, a different view of her now nah that's right because because you spent six months over there like your views with the political scene did you get a more better understanding and a different view of of people there now when you were there then you were over here. Massive. So I always mm. know that, for example, money is really important, you know, for, for, for politics, money. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know, always one of the biggest issues in the States politically is um, uh, guns. Guns. Oh, did you uh, see any guns? <laughs> oh, I, it's, I, mean, I mean, there were shootings, you know, yeah, there were, there were yeah. shootings every day, all day. And because they Man. were so often, you become immune. You know, Americans have become immune to to shootings. You know, no in way. schools, in supermarkets, and it was ridiculous. You know, again, um, something that I'm proud of is that New Zealand we banned, um, you know, semi-automatic, um, you know, weapons. You know, they've got no place in New Zealand society, and the whole got the gun, the gun buyback schemes here in New Zealand. Proud of that, because we saw we saw an issue. You know, after what happened in the shootings in 2019, um, and the states, because obviously the NRA, you know, the National Rifle Association (NRA), sorry, um, they, you know, they give generous donations to politicians, and so the politicians are going to turn a blind eye, and it's very obvious. And so that's why there's these very little action when it comes to, you know, guns. I mean, basic things like. Um, you know, ensuring that they're kept in, um, you need a license, you know. I mean, we need a, you need a license to drive a car. Why on earth wouldn't you have a license to own a gun? You know, ensuring that in the homes they are, you know, they're put away safely, um, you know, all sorts of rules. Um, basically, I hear some of the arguments that saying, oh, we need to arm our teachers. <laughs> yeah, I heard you know that that's too. ridiculous. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that is not going to solve them. Mm. And I see, um, I see kids now having like um, demonstrations in, in, in the classrooms on how to, you know, there's these shields in the classrooms that can shield kids away from you know bullets. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what we're working <laughs> on, you know. And people um, and politicians from the right are also blaming mental health issues. I guess mental health issues are really important when it comes to that. But these mental health issues in Australia, mental health issues in New Zealand and the UK, they don't have gun shootings mm. every day, all day. You know, that's not a problem there. So you simply just can't blame mental health mm. for being the reason why there's so many gun shootings. I mean, it's access to guns is so easy. 
my take on the whole American gun thing is because it makes money for for whoever's making the guns. It makes it's a billion dollar industry over there, you know. And to ban guns is you're taking away those billion dollars of <laughs> of those of the NRA or whatever there, right. or whoever the manufacturers or the contracts, you know. And, and because America's a big, um, you know, they've got a big military over there. It's all folk. All the taxes are more focused on there. They just oh. well, they would call it the military complex system. Or what's it oh, it's it's, it's massive what they, yeah. they put on because I because I, I ask people would look at me silly when I ask questions like oh what what if they what if you what if Americans put the same amount of money into the defense into education mm. and they don't be silly well <laughs> don't be silly um, so when I was over there it was like the you know, banning books in Florida. Mm. Um, Oh, banning books? You know, banning books for kids. Why? Uh, because it might upset them. So oh. uh, um, books around slavery, you know, <laughs> slavery issues, civil rights, ban, banning those sorts of books. Banning uh, yeah. any books with reference to transgender. You know, they want to, you know, um, there are issues about um, banning, um, um, you know, drag queens reading books in the libraries to kids. You know, they want to ban that, but they don't want to ban guns that shoot yeah. and kill mm. young people but they want to ban books and I don't think it's the transgender people that are the problem or the issue um, there are more bigger more prime issues than books and that's the prioritizing yeah. of yeah. these issues there. Yeah. 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 yeah so those are some of the political issues in the states it was interesting what about the, the political correctness over there is it, was it strong like like they say it is because you know, I, I, I see it on social media, and I've, I've read a bit about it. Like in Canada, it's big. In America, it's, in the universities, it's big. But for you living over there, did you how how did you feel the society was in terms of a society political correctness, PC culture, and all that kind of stuff? Well, like the hurting your feelings thing is must be big. Eh? Like. You know when they say they're gonna ban these books because of slavery, yeah, because they want to hurt the feelings yeah. of the kids because they, yeah. But you're just erasing history. Well, that, that that's the right leaning politicians that want to do that. So they they want to do that They're, to erase the history. Well, not not have young people confronted by history because it might hurt them. So that's that's the right um, saying. That. So the left are, are saying no, we we should not be banning um, these books. You know, um, both. Okay, so. What I've you know what I've seen you know I've been in the states they had Black History Month they had Women's um, Month etc and I think it was beautiful you know I think it was beautiful to see going into bookstores and seeing you know um, the stands dedicated to African American mm. um, authors and and <laughs> and books around there I think it was beautiful and and acknowledging the women of the past I don't necessarily think that's PC but I don't rather think that's Something that's a, that's a ref, that's you know we need to reflect on on injustices and past injustices of what African Americans and what women have experienced in the states. And I think it was a beautiful thing to see as well to show that the beauty of the beauty of diversity. I think that's important. That's not necessarily PC, but I think that's really important to to really highlight and showcase. If it's executed the right way, yeah. Sometimes it's not, and you can feel the ticking boxes when it comes to diversity. Sometimes. You know, yeah. like, and it's it's funny because you mentioned um, uh, Black History Month, mm. and I remember a lot of African American comedians joke about why did they give us February? It's like twenty eight days, twenty nine days leap year. Like, <laughs> it's 
not even the full uh, 31 days. <laughs> 31, 30 days. That's racist. But now it's cracker, man. Um, but probably one issue that I had is that the indigenous, they've got like an indigenous day in Boston. Um, it's on the same day as the Italian day, community day. I'm like, why would you put, you know, why would you not separate, have indigenous people have their own day? Why do you need to put another community to share that with Indigenous People's Day? I, I find that to be, yeah, to be not great. Indigenous people deserve um, their own their own day. Don't they have Christopher Columbus Day or something? That's <sighs> yeah, that's, that's pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, that's controversial in itself. Christopher Columbus. That's very controversial. Um, it's like over here saying Captain Cook Day or something. James Cook Day. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. They're saying that, you know, that Christopher Columbus was the one that founded the states. Well, hello, no, actually, that's not correct. Indigenous peoples have been here for you know, hundreds of mm. years beforehand. It's really interesting. You mentioned James Cook. They've got a James Cook High School um, out in Manurewa, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that, that needs changing. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that school has mostly Māori Pacific kids there. Mm. You know, why not come up with a name that reflects... The culture of those kids in that community, um, I think that's yeah. So it's something that I, you know, when I, when I drive past that school, I'm thinking, oh man, why is that called James Cook? It's you probably know. the curse, eh? Because James Cook High is known, always known for the years being it's low. This our school, yeah, it's pretty rough, you know, um, and probably that's the curse of James Cook, you know. Change the mm. name, it'll probably go up and uh, go up in the these house. <laughs> wow, I, I yeah, I mean. There's beauty, there's beauty out of Manurewa. I've, I've been lucky enough to have worked with um, Manurewa Intermediate, for example. It's an awesome school. There's mm-hmm. And um, Manurewa High, awesome schools. I haven't done anything with um, James Cook, but I just, I think of a name thinking, you know, that, that could easily be changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so a big issue in, in, in the States, and particularly in Boston, is getting rid of statues right. that showcase some of the former slave owners. Mm. Um, and who didn't? Who mistreated African Americans? Who mistreated Indigenous peoples? Getting rid of, getting rid of that. So I want to tell you, I I went to UMass Amherst, right? That was the second Am- UMass University. Amherst was the name of a guy who purposely killed Native American people in that community. So chicken um, smallpox was a disease back in those days, and what he did was that he infected blankets with smallpox and then he gave them to native communities what? with the intention of killing them so that's the conversation that's had and so they really wanted to get rid of the name um amherst um with umass amherst so they're trying to get you know they just called like to call themselves umass because amherst was a guy was a guy who purposely you know tried to decimate native american communities in the area and there'll be a lot, a lot of that in America. There'll be lots of cases like that. So and, and there's a lot of statues about yep. these so, kind of people. Um, councillor Tanya, who's a councillor of the Boston City Council, she's put forward the motion um, to get rid of um, these statues that symbolise um, racism and discrimination against African Americans, against mm. um, Native um, Indigenous communities, and I think that's to be commended. Mm. We talked about prioritise before, and see, that that's one thing that I feel should be in front of the list when it comes to discrimination and how they how to overcome that in america you know have 
because 400 years of slavery and then to end slavery compared to when it started it's more recent you know and i think that should be the priority to help to help out with that because african americans are still behind in the um you know in the they're still trying to catch up eh? um it depends where you are so the um different parts of america there's different stories so i was you know boston is what you call generally progressive mm. if you go to some states like uh i think west virginia they still fly the confederation flags oh. which are you know which symbolized um yeah. you know uh, white supremacy which symbolizes um things against um african americans um and so those flags are quite dangerous and I know that a lot of African Americans don't feel comfortable when they see those flags flying because it symbolizes, you know, hatreds towards them mm. historically as well. But some, you know, they still find those flags in some in some of the um, southern states as well, which is quite problematic. Yeah, there's that. I like how the fact that they took back the inward. You know, they you know, white people can't say that word anymore, mm, and, and but they, sh- they shouldn't. But African Americans have taken that word back, so they they can only say it. Yep. And uh, that's yep. that, that's interesting. Well, there's conversations about Pacifica people using that, right? I don't know if you've if you've I've, yeah, well, heard well, that. What's your thinking on that? Because are we, are we being indigenous or you know Pacifica right. or Maori? Can we use that word? No, Maori should not be. Definitely should not be using that. Pacifica should definitely not be using that because it's not our word, right? No, it's not our word. It's not our word. And so that word is for the African um, African American community use and it should be solely them to be used that word. It's been used as a slur for so long against them mm-hmm. and I don't think that Māori or Pacifica people should be using that word at all. Because we never had that same fight there. We never had no, the same fight. and it's not our fight. We have a different fight. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not our fight. Um, and it's, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that, it's because there are that say that word all the know, time, especially the kids, eh? Well, even in music, yeah, music. even in music, <laughs> <laughs> yes. But when you're over there, were you careful with that word, or did you hear it? Or? No, I, I didn't no. hear that word at all. Mm. I mean, I was in Boston, so Boston is a you know, is a highly educated city, they use fancy yeah. words, and yeah. um, so um, I'd never heard, never heard that word mm. any time during my time there, mm. um. You know when you talk to to the mayor, uh, Wong, was it? Uh, name? Wu, Michelle Wu. Wu. Michelle Wu, um, sorry. Yeah. Um, did you ask her questions like, uh, or did you learn how the local government works then compare it to our one? Yeah, what was really interesting um, was that, so you know with city council meetings, so she doesn't, she doesn't run the city council meetings. She's got her own agenda and she does that. So... The city council meetings that make some decisions, what happens is that, so you have your first council meeting and they choose who's going to be the president, e.g. who's going to lead the council meetings, and then they leave it up to them while Michelle Wu does her own thing. So I thought, wow, that's interesting, Michelle, because, you know, obviously the mayor and the mayors of New Zealand, they run the council meetings. Mm-hmm. She's she's not a part of the council meetings. Oh. So I found that really interesting. They've got interesting departments in council. Like they've got like a language, you know, like languages department. You know, like you know how you support languages um, in the city. And I was thinking, wow, that's fascinating. Because I would instantly think it's like a that's like a ministry of education, or that's like a 
that's a government thing. That's not a city council issue because you know we tend to think of city council issues like our roads and our parks, yeah. but it's so much more. Education is an important focus of city councils um, right. as well. So right. I just found, yeah. So what I what I noticed straight away is that our city councils they look very very different. Um, so the the money that funds school or that funds our teachers and um, differs from city to city in America. And it's usually your property tax that pays for teachers' salaries. Right. So, so our rates will our pay rates, for... Well, yes, yeah, so their rates pays for the, te- the local teachers' salaries. Mm. So, so that's why, you know, in New Zealand, teachers get paid the same wherever you live because yeah. we've got a national system, right? Yeah. But it's, 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 but it's different in the States where it depends on the city that you live in and the rates that you get from that particular city determines... Um, so you could so every school could be paying you know, every city could be paying um, a different um, salary to teachers based on where you live. Right, right. So, so it's fascinating. So yeah, I could I could imagine because we we have local government uh, funding, then we have the the whole government. Yeah, where we get the money from. It's obviously, yep. education, me, uh, medical. Yeah, but in the states are different because you have different states, different taxes, different laws. Yeah, and you got the mayor, and the, you got the local government that probably has to have their own funding to fund these departments. Eh? Yes, that's right. And what? So, what comes from the government? Is it like just like because uh, the the police force part of the the council? Eh? So you're right. Again, there's, there's not a, there's not a national police force. The police force yeah. is a city police force. So oh, yeah, the FBI is the national well, police force, I guess. FBI. Remember, there's, there's a couple of tiers of of, of there's the federal government. Mm. Um, so there's a couple of different tiers of the national government right. as well. You've got the state government as well, yeah. and then you've got city council. So there's different um, um, different levels and stages of, of of council. So it can be quite confusing actually. Mm. Because then you've got the congressman as well. Yeah. But each state has a one congressman to represent. Is it one? I think it's one. Yes. Yeah. And you got the Senate as well. So yeah, see, you not. know, I mean, I was in Boston. <laughs> Who's in Boston? Um, what's in Elizabeth Warren? I don't know if you, if you Elizabeth Warren. So, um, she is interesting because um, she you know she's a white American. Although, so <sighs> there's a thing. There's a term in in America. It's called fin. Uh, no, it's um, pretendian. Sorry, pretendian. Pretendian. Those who pretend to be a Native American Indian. Oh, pretendian. Pretendian. <laughs> well, it's it's a term because people have been pretendians mm. because there's you can access different resources right. if if you right. have if you can prove mm. that you're Native American heritage, and so um, people um, were just you know people believe that Elizabeth Warren is not Indian, is not Native American Indian. So that's another thing as well. Oh, uh, but she put her, her down, she's put down as she's, she's put American. Yeah, yeah, which people laugh at because right. they... She's white as, I guess. Yeah, and <laughs> she just found out apparently that oh, okay. some lineage, and so unfortunately her nickname that she's being mocked by, particularly by Trump, is Pocahontas. Oh, uh, that's yeah. She's been mocked. Um, she's called Pocahontas. Um, and that's, that's disturbing in itself. Um, but pretendians a term that is being used quite often because you can access certain um, resources if you are able to prove your heritage. It was a term. So I, I never use the word American Indian or Indian, 
but that's a government term. So that's why people call themselves Indians, because that's what the government, um, that's that's the term that they use. I've always used Native American. I'm going to continue to use Native American because um, because Indian was a term given to these um, by by the governments of the time. So um, I read somewhere um, when Columbus came to America, he named him Indians because he thought he was India. He thought he was in India. And the name is stuck. Yeah, and the name is stuck. Um, that was the only reason. Is that true? That's true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, I've got to be careful. So, these are, so American Indians and then Indian Americans. So Indian Americans are from India. Indian. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So oh, you, yeah. yeah. So you ha- damn. I, cause it's like I never when people, that. When people would mention Indians, I'm like, <laughs> which? Indian Americans or American Indians? Just to clarify. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because oh, there's a lot man. of Indians... Um, Indian Americans that live in the states as well, so we really want to clarify that because I get always confused. Yeah, you. now I'm thinking if I was Indian and I'm living in America, yeah. then I'll be like, I have to be careful what I. How you'll be I called say it. And you'll be Indian American. Yeah, I have to be careful of, how I yes. say that to be aware. Because Indian, if you use Indian by itself, <laughs> you're using it really means Native Americans. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it's complicated. It, gets yeah. com- it can get complicated. Identity, identity is really complicated. They use blood quantum's. So you've got to... Oh, I heard about so, this. Like 1%, so, 2%. Yeah, and that's really important because you have to prove that you're a certain percentage in order to be able to benefit from a particular tribe. So that so, so a tribe won't say like you have to be like 50% or 60%. You've got to be... If you, you can't prove that, then we're not going to give you a membership to the tribe. So in New Zealand, that doesn't... Obviously, hmm. with my tribes, if I, if I just have a lineage, I'm that tribe. Yeah. I don't have to prove... Percentage, percentage, and and I, and I, and I don't agree with that. Mm. I just don't agree with that because it doesn't. I mean, that's that was a system designed by um, colonial governments. They designed the systems to really just, um, I don't know, to, to categorize us. Mm. And I and I don't think that's an indigenous. That's not a natural indigenous way of, of doing that. Mm. You know, with with American that with the politics there and. Colonialism. I don't. I don't hear much of colonialism over there in America. It's it's like the white people just there and that's it. That we're here. This is our. This is, we're Americans. That's it. Right. We we don't. We disconnected from England. Don't know what. You know. We came over here from England. We're not English anymore. You know. The French came helped us get our independence, and that's it. We're Americans. So, but it's still a colonizing way of thinking there. Eh? Well, decolonizing, right? That's a that's a university term. So mm. you hear about it in all the universities. Maybe in the communities, maybe not so much. But definitely it's spoken about how we decolonize ourselves and our communities and our work um, and, and the education spaces. So that's that's a re- reoccurring theme I kept hearing while I was at, particularly at UMass, mm. Boston, is about decolonizing the systems, uh, making... Because decolonizing systems means making... Um, things accessible for minority groups. Yeah, that's right. And to me, Americans talking about decolonization is something I probably thought it doesn't happen over there because, like I said before, they're just Americans. And I think that's they've normalized that now. So anything decolonization to me means, you know, still English influence in countries that need to be decolonized. Yeah, like like New Zealand. Yeah. You know, we're definitely working on that space here yeah, in mm. New Zealand. Yeah, you know, with um, with the American Indians, yep. yeah, American Indians. Like when we're talking about the minority and what you can get in regards to being Indian in the system, 
Like I know they have those um, reservations around in the country. Eh? Yeah. Like, tribes are they get a reservation and they got casinos there. Like is the casino thing part of what they, what the Indians thought that oh this would be a good thing to do in our reservation make build a casino. Yeah. So um generally um except for the states of Nevada. You know, like where Las Vegas is generally um, casinos are a no-no, um, mm. legally are a no-no. So, but, but, but because casinos are in reservation land, um, because um, Native American communities um, are able to um, come up with their own rules in their particular um, land, so they, that's why there are casinos and reservations. That's a clever ploy because people like casinos, and so... Um, outsiders will go to those casinos, go to the reservations. They won't build the res- they won't build those casinos on on normal land, but they'll put them on you know the reservations. Um, so that can be problematic at times. Hmm. Um, be problematic with um, you know obviously um, gambling issues um, hmm. affect indigenous peoples and minority groups far more. Right. So like paying on fire. Eh? Oh, ab- absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it's a it's a it's it's a typical way of of getting money as well mm. uh, for communities, but um, it's unfair that um, that these are built on those. I wish there were other sustainable, more ethical ways of of of, of money of mm. supporting um, some of these communities. Um, so I, I I I've been to a couple of the casinos. My friend who belongs to the um, indigenous tribes there showed me around. Mm. To think like yeah, so outsiders always come into you know to use these casinos, um, but um, it's problematic that they are based in these reservations and not many other places in 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 America. Mm. So I don't understand how the reservations come about. Is it just part of the government like reparations to the okay. to the Indian people? There's a couple of things, but sometimes reservations were way to like. They're wanting to. They they weren't on really good land. They weren't. They're really on poor land, and we just want to. We don't want you in the way. You know that that was that was one way of of, of putting. Um, so a lot a lot of the res, um a lot of Native American communities were pushed, were pushed away, particularly from um, really good land, and were pushed into places that they don't necessarily come from. Um, I was lucky enough to be in a, to go to a couple of reservations. Um, oh yeah. And to, to meet communities, to go into the schools, and they were beautiful. Um, just, you know, I went into some, some of the language schools, they're trying to save their language, and I just thought it was the most beautiful thing ever. Because it's about communities that make, um, people make communities, it's about people, and um, that's what I love the most. Um, so, historically, yeah, historically, you know, pe- you know Native American groups have pushed away from their, from their Turanga Waiwai, their homes, and, and to land that wasn't theirs. Um, so yeah so if you look at a typical reservation you have to look at the historic reasons why they're there because sometimes yep sometimes they do belong to that land sometimes um, it wasn't there it's not the original land that, they, that, that those tribes are originally from um, so yeah you just have to look at the reasons why they're there mm. you went to Arizona eh? I did and you did the talk I did you did the talk and or you learned and did the talk eh yep you were was it like it was an indigenous yep thing eh well, yep. what was that Oh, Arizona's cool. Uh, I went to Arizona and New Mexico, so they they border each other. There are 22 oh, right. tribes in Arizona, and I went to the most... Um, so Arizona State University is a cool university, by the way. And, is that uh, in Phoenix? Or? 
No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in Phoenix, yeah. Mm. Um, and that's really cool. Um, and I think there was going to be it was a big Super Bowl game, um, the week after. Uh, I think it was a final or something there. Um, they're big on the Super Bowl in Phoenix. Um, but yeah, that was cool. Um, I oh mean, twenty-two tribes there, just beautiful man. I went to a really big, massive social gathering of, of the tribes and the stores there. Just beautiful to see. Just so lucky to be um, to witness some the arts and cultures and language, and I love that sort of stuff. But yeah, man. So you know, New Phoenix and Arizona and New Mexico—they look very different from, say, your Boston's and your New Yorks and your Washington DCs. Very different. America's so diverse, and it's not the yeah. same. Places are so different. The environment, like deserts. So Arizona, New Mexico, deserts. Cactus, you know, cacti. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. <laughs> Like like yeah, it's very different. We were in um Albuquerque. Yes, Albuquerque. Wow. That's New Mexico. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you seen Have you seen those like houses? The they're called adobe houses. They're like they're sort of like mud sort of. Um, oh yeah, yeah. They're the most beautiful homes, and they're <laughs> so clever because during during the summer times it keeps the house cool. During the winter times it keeps the house warm, and mm. and, and not only. <laughs> They're right for the environment. They're just so beautiful to look yeah. at. So they're called Adobe, Adobe Homes. Mm. Just beautiful. And I stayed in one while I was in New Mexico. And I just loved it. Eh? I think I there's a Spanish influence there, aren't they? Yeah. 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 And what was really cool is that a lot of these tribes were able to beat the Spanish. And that's why they were able to keep their language. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. They were able yeah. to beat the Spanish. Right. And that's why the language is still, still there. The Navajo language and and the Pueblo um, language um, languages. Um, are there and there's yeah. yeah they talk about that often to me that they were able to beat the Spanish I know Albuquerque well thanks to um, the TV series uh, Breaking Bad oh my goodness <laughs> so people will mention- I mean they got a statue there of um, Walter White people were telling me to go to this diner right this diner at Breaking Bad I'm like what's yeah. Breaking Bad I don't know anything about that but but that's, that's you know when we think about America like New Zealanders, when they go for holidays, they go to LA or New York City, right? Mm. At, like, th- there's so many amazing places to visit apart from those two. In between. You can go to Arizona, you go to New Mexico, you can go to Virginia, you can have the most amazing... I went to Jeff, the President Jefferson's house mm. in Virginia because that's where you have Charlottesville, that's where he lived. And I was learning so much about you know him and the slavery, um, the slavery issues that, you know, that, that were there. Boston, the JFK, you know, JFK Museum and Presidential Library, amazing. So all this historic politics stuff was just fascinating. Mm. Because I'm a movie buff, man. Yep. America's my place, man. Go to all the locations and that. Yep. Like, but you're right, man. In between LA and New York, man, yep. there's a lot of things to see, man. Heaps. You know, there's Heaps. New Orleans is one of my favorite okay. places to go to. Okay. You know, yeah, I'm gonna check out. Yeah. Just the culture over there. Yeah. Like, see, I'm not a really LA person. Like I, I see LA, yeah. I haven't been there, but yep. it doesn't appeal to me. New York appeals to me more. Yep, New York's cool. Um, when you talk about movies, Home Alone Two is one of my favorite movies of yeah, all time. Yeah. So Lost in New York. Yeah. Um, so what did you eat over there in New York? Um, well, you'd think I'd eat a pretzel, right? But no, <laughs> a bagel or bagel? I, I, well, you know, before when we were talking, I was sort of on a keto diet. Yeah, well, that sort of died down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you're not supposed to eat bread. So I was careful, and I thought, "Oh, let's stuff it. I'll just start. I'll just eat a little bit here and there." So, mm-hmm. you know, bagels are massive. Boston, massive in New York City. Um, pretzels as well. But um, I left. I, I went home via San Francisco 
Because I really right. wanted to visit San Francisco and I thought that was a beautiful city. Mm. I went to Salt Lake City in Utah as well. So for the, you know, known for the um, Latter-day Saints, Mormon yep. Church. So that was fascinating too. So we went, they had, had a lot of fascinating experiences. And the Sundance movies, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, was, I should have gone to that. I didn't spend the weekend there. But yeah, you're right, Sundance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, San Francisco, yeah. What did you do there? Uh, I went to the Alcatraz, oh, right, which is right. where they had the, the jail, the Alcatraz jail. Yeah, yeah. Is it just like a tourist place? Uh, it's so touristy, just made me like, ugh. It's very touristy. So you take a, sh- a boat, ferry, to the island. You go for a walk into the old jails that had the, their... It closed down, I think, in 1961, 1962 was the final time Alcatraz, and then the Native American community, they overtook it. So they just um, they took out, they just went over there and they protested and they wouldn't get off, you know, protested about you know human rights around Native American issues. So that was really cool to see that and that's still there. You know, you're on Indian land is is a big sign as you go into um, Alcatraz. So they just took it. Yeah, they just you know they they claimed it. And they claimed it and they wouldn't you know they protested and people listened to them. You know, they saw them. They you know, about the conditions that Native Americans were facing at the times, racism, discrimination. Um, this was in the early 70s. So, yeah, um, that was that was fascinating. So Alcatraz um, was my San Fran moment. I'm fascinated about why they make Alcatraz a tourist destination. Because uh, you're thinking about it, it's just a jail. Like, yeah. Can you imagine a jail being the, a tourist yeah. attraction? No. <laughs> and you know what was really silly? <laughs> Was like you'd have like past prisoners, their faces on like spoons, hey. on like cups, on plates. <laughs> oh, for the yeah, like for the poorest <laughs> shops. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. That's what, that's, what I, that's what I said to my friend like yesterday, thinking she she works in a jail. Like, imagine if we did that in New Zealand, if we had prisoners and their faces on cups and spoons and selling them as. That, 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 so I mean, I, I'm not sure if I enjoyed the Alcatraz experience, but. Mm. I mean, no. I mean, I probably wouldn't go again. I saw the photos of you there. The the weather was lovely. Well, it was beautiful. I mean, mm. it went from minus twenty two in Boston, and then it started. The weather was beautiful over the last couple of weeks since I left the states. Mm. It was in the twenties. You know, Arizona, New Mexico. That was really you know gorgeous, um, sunny weather. Mm. Um, but yeah, I was sick of the snow after a while. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, sick yeah. Of it. yeah. Oh, it's good that you, you had best of both worlds, though. The cold and the yep. and and the and the desert life. Yep, it's all yeah. it's all about the experiences, and I'm I'm glad that I experienced falling snow because yeah. that's something we don't get here in Aotearoa, right? Particularly in Tamaki Makoto, Auckland, you know, we don't see snow fall down. So I, when I first got to Boston, I would stand outside and just take videos of the snow falling because it's such a cool and unique experience. But over time, you get you, you get over it. Mm. I definitely got over it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was the um? It's, it's, it, let's talk about the food again. The, generally, I know it's um, big portions, fatty, unhealthy. Well, what, what was your what, what do you remember was was the best to eat? I know you didn't like the lobster. Yeah, um, chilies. So if you go to New Mexico, it's uh, really big on red versus green chili. It's a it's a big cultural concept in in New Mexico. So you have red chilies. You have um, the green chilies and they have chilies on the burgers, ice cream, everything. It's insane. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, for myself, I really did watch what I, what I, what I did because the portions are quite big. 
Um, so um, even I did download the McDonald's app there. <laughs> wow, you like free Big Macs at certain times and free this and free that. They're really generous in oh. and, and their and specials at McDonald's. Yeah. And because my apartment in Boston was close, you know, I mean, if I was lazy, I would, I would, I would check out maybe a couple of times McDonald's. But um, um, what I miss is the coffee. Um, I love my coffees, and you can't Over be here. yeah, you can't yeah. be New Zealand coffee. So Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts is massive in Boston. Yeah, it would. There was Starbucks and libraries of the universities. Oh yeah, like so inside inside the yeah. library. You go to the library. There's a Starbucks inside a university library. Um, it was insane. There was Starbucks everywhere, Dunkin' Donuts everywhere. Um, that's what I meant about my comment about. I wouldn't be surprised if I went to a bathroom and there's a vending machine in there. That's the same thing. Yeah. Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> um, and I, I actually, I'm so glad, I'm so proud I didn't have one Dunkin' Donut mm. the whole time I was there. But coffee, not the same. Because um, they do the um, the pot, coffee, in the pot, eh? They don't do the coffee machines much, eh? Um, like I'm just thinking about when you go to a diner. Yeah, d- diners, yeah, diners, yeah. yeah, yeah. I went to a few diners here and there. Yeah. I did go to Denny's <laughs> a couple of times. <laughs> Yeah, I did go to Denny's. Actually, just I wanted to experience it, you know, as, yeah. as an avid go- as an avid attendee of, um, you know, Denny's in New Lynn. Yeah, I wanted to see the differences, and not much difference. No, yeah. but they got all sorts. They got IHOP and yeah, similar to Denny's. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. they got Applebee's. Applebee's. Oh, I love Applebee's. I yeah. went to one in Hawaii. Okay. Yeah, man. That's. Yep. I love. I love it because it's like a Denny's but with sports. It's a sports bar too. Yeah. I just, I just love it. Eh? Food's a little bit nicer at Applebee's. Mm. A little, just a little bit more yeah. nicer. Because, yeah. The portion sizes, you, man, you can, you know, why there's a beast problem over there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I used to get, I usually eat everything that's mm. that I, you know, usually eat everything. I, I couldn't do that for half the food, and I didn't eat it all of it because <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't, and um, yeah, um, yeah, you just have to. You know, food is so readily available and it's high in, you know, and I said to my friends, you know, wow, everything's so high in sugar, high in fat, you know. Um, it really can't be healthy. Mm. So I'm, I'm glad that I was able to withstand the pressure of eating, <laughs> you know, too much. But people were feeding me, no doubt. They were feeding yeah. me all the time. I had to be careful. Well, well it's good you got out there and play some tennis, get some exercise in. Tennis, yeah. yeah, pickleball. What's that? Oh, uh, it's it's probably the the fastest growing sport in the states. What what is pickleball? I heard it was the fastest yeah, growing. It is, yeah, pickleball. It's amazing. Is it like tennis? Uh a little bit, but you use a uh, like a padded tennis bat and a plastic ball, and you can play indoors or outdoors. So I played both. Um, it's re- what I like about pickleball is that anybody can play at any level. You can pick up the pickleball bat and you can just play straight away. You can't do that for tennis. Tennis takes about a couple years yeah. to develop. Yeah. And, and, if, and, and pickleball, anyone can pick it up. It's like the same intensity. Okay, I imagine it's the same intensity as badminton. Or no? I think, no, less. Less? Yeah, less. It's easy. It's easier to play. It's easy on my knees, so that's why I enjoy pickleball because I've got tennis knees. So you're not you're not running. I'm not. No. It's no. like table table tennis on the real tennis court, but not as fast. Right. Table tennis is quite fast, 
and so the ball is a little bit is a bit bigger. It's usually doubles. You can play singles, but that's tough. And, and so it's usually doubles. And um, I love it. It's for all ages, and anybody can pick it up. And it's it's grown here in New Zealand too. Was oh, it? Yeah, we play. I play uh, uh, Tatu Peninsula. Oh, true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So get back and do that. Yeah. Yeah. Back and playing tennis. We've got a tennis tournament on Tuesday. Have you? Um, which is a couple. Well, that's tomorrow. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. so, um, <laughs> you know, um, so we've got the top two tennis champs that have won last year, so mm. hopefully we can try and win it again. Mm. Man. So, you're back now. What, what was the biggest thing that you've learned on your trip? The the most thing that you you just... I know you're here. It's good when you come back from trips because you're, you're back... When when everyone goes comes back from comes back home from a big trip like that, yeah. like you did, you know, the, there's that thing that we always think about all the time like and, and and to me that's the thing that you took out of the trip the whole trip well what what, what, what is that thing for you oh i'm gonna it's gonna be a little bit different i i, I love being from aotearoa new zealand and it's something that I, but I, I i didn't realize how much more i loved being from aotearoa new zealand and that's something that i really didn't think i could be even more in love with my country mm-hmm. as a result of being away for so long um, is that because how different it was over there, or how lucky we are? Because people lucky, got got it worse, yeah. or how, people got it. <laughs> how, how 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 lucky that I for myself that I can be Maori, that I have my indigenous language, that I'm a fluent speaker of my language, and I'm strong in my cultural beliefs, and I can and I can be that, in in, in general society and community, and and that I'm lucky that those who have passed on. Um, made that possible for me in my generation to do that and that's why and I see in the states where it's not the case for many indigenous communities how we reclaim your identity and your culture and how there's so many pushbacks and obstacles against so many indigenous communities and that's why I always said in the states it's an obligation for me as Māori to share what's worked for us to help other indigenous communities if if they want to use those resources, and so that's the best big takeaway for me, and how much I love being from New Zealand, but also I want to continue to engage with the Native American communities to help them, um, to support them as 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 a as a as Maori as a as a as a, as a um, it could be like a cousin or a brother um, to these communities, um, and I want to see them grow and prosper. I want you know. Because when they do when when they do well, we do well, and when we do well, they do well, mm. and that's that's the biggest takeaway for me. I think we yeah we we do they yeah, they do do well when they see us because we set the example or we try to set the example eh, and we get there. I think the biggest challenge for indigenous especially Maori here in New Zealand now is the upcoming uh, co-governance thing, you know, and that will be well documented well whatever way it goes. You know? well, well, interesting. Co-governance has been around for a long time in this country. Well, but, need, but needs to be executed properly. You know, that's the only problem. I, I think that just the name puts people off. But co-governance has been around for a long time. I give you so many different examples of where co-governance exists. It's really interesting because it's the National Party that pushed for co. You know, they put they installed co-governance. So I'll give you an example: the Waikato River, which is you know, which the, the river, which is the live stream of the Tainui Waikato people. 
um, the iwi work alongside the council in looking after and supporting mm. the river. That's an example of co-governance, mm. but it's just the name co-governance that we've never used because it's a co-governance is essentially a relationship. Mm. It's a relationship. That's what it is. Well, that, well, that's a good example of a system that's gone well. Yeah, I you mean, know? and but I think it's yeah. You're you're right. As soon as they say co-governance then everyone's like hey what the hell is that well they think it means privilege for maori they think oh maori yeah. taking over i mean give me an example where we've seen that i think maori have been generous mm. with our resources with our land with our knowledge you know is this an issue that you've shared with the people that you've met in america yeah and, i have and, you know I've, and yeah. they, they found it interesting they, yeah. what, what, what did they say about it what was their reactions well um, considering how far we've come uh, yeah in New Zealand, yeah, I mean, I, I I often talk about like, you know, Māori being involved at decision making, you know, at all levels, from local council levels to board of trustees levels to city council, you know, we've got seven um, Māori seats in Parliament. You know, they think, well, that's amazing. Dedicated Māori seats ensure that we will always have Māori representation in Parliament. That's a massive deal to have dedicated seats. Now we've got 30-something councils in this city councils in this country have dedicated Māori seats. That's ensuring that Māori are represented politically. I mean, that's really important. And when I mention that to Indigenous groups in the states, I think that's amazing. That's like so up there. But if it's good for us, then it's good for other Indigenous communities too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They the I think the media in New Zealand is calling for um, more education around the co-governance thing. Let's get rid of the word co-governance. It's a terrible yeah. term. It's just relationships. That's simply what it is. Mm. Working together. We've done that for years, decades. That's simply, mm. It's just the name. I think I don't know who came up with that name. Um, but you know, To cause controversy maybe? I think so. Mm. To, to, to divide mm. as well. I mean, we don't need that. Mm. Yeah, we need to work together better. And I think that's what people should understand. Like, Co-governance has been here for ages. Well, it, it came from the three waters, the three waters debate. Oh, for, for, well, as far as I'm concerned, it came from the Treaty of Waitangi. You know, as soon as, as, soon yeah. as that happened, then I mean, there is a co. Yeah, there's I a mean, cooperation. Obviously, after that, it stemmed after from that. that. But in, in terms of the media and mm. recent media, that came from the three waters debate about because three waters meant that iwi Māori were having a say on 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 water infrastructure across the country, right? Mm. Uh, and that's a good example of the misinterpretation of what the co-governance thing meant. Yeah, well, that's yeah. that's that's how it got into the media was that three waters would allow local iwi um, to have a say on the organisation and running of water facilities in this country based on the three waters model. Did you see how terrified the Balangis were? You know, when that <laughs> issue came up, they were terrified. Terrified for Māori to have a say <laughs> in their own country. <laughs> Well, that's what happens if you don't understand, you know? Well, the also we also moved away from the purpose of Three Waters. There are many co- um, people who have been getting, hundreds, hundreds of people get sick by the drinking water in so many different councils. Some councils can't afford to fix their, their ageing water systems. Give you an example, there's a city council, uh, I won't say the name, um, one of the councillors said to me um, in, the, in the, um, the bottom of the North Island area, that you know they can't afford the council can't afford through the rates can't afford to fix the aging water system so they need the, the government to intervene to pay for the water infrastructure um so you know they they need three waters um so it's more about 
because I think it's around, it's going to cost a few billion dollars to completely refix and rewire our, our very aging uh, water system. You know, people should not, you know, in this country, we should not be drinking subpar water. Um, water that makes people sick. You know, think of cases in the Hawke's Bay where water's constantly brown. Mm. Um, and the councils are not doing enough to to um, to fix that issue. Oh, the weather, the the, the recent um, storms and that has been storm water, worse, you know? storm water systems. We can't yeah, cope yeah. with that. The infrastructure needs yep. to be upgraded. Yeah, hello, I councils. Councils don't have enough money. I think the big one was in in Kumu area. Yeah, yeah, flooded before and then flooded again. Then we fixed it. Needs help yep. there. Also, we need to stop the building of new homes on the floodplains as well. Mm-hmm. So that again, <laughs> why would you do that? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Well, I remember, um, it was Lim- oh, not Lim- Brown. Um, who's the um, who's the idiot? What we got right now? Uh, Wayne Brown. Lim- <laughs> I love Lim- Brown. I love Lim- Brown, <laughs> yeah, by the way. But yeah. um, what was he saying? Why, why did we build the houses on top of slips or something? Yeah, that's bad. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. Yeah. We we. We need to strategically think. We, you know, we should not be building houses close to rivers, mm. um, and especially not on floodplains where they're prone to being flooded. Mm. That's, yeah. And we've got a lot of that those new builds in West Auckland. <laughs> so, bro, so you're you're back now. Yep. You're um, you're gonna be full on in the local ward. Yep. And are you back teaching or? Uh, I, I'm not back teaching. Um, I'm working for Comet, which is an education charity That's right, yeah. that advocates for um, changes in the education system. Mm. So back in back in that. So this morning, I went to visit. You know, I love Ranui. So we to visit uh, Ranui Action Project, Ranui Community House, Ranui One Three Five. Yeah. Um, I, I just wanted to catch up with some of our local heroes. Mm. They're doing some amazing work for Ranui. I love that place. Then I went to Tipo Theatre. Out in Henderson, do you know about Tipo Theatre? Is that the Corbins? Corbins? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mate, they've got some amazing shows coming up. Right. Uh, Māori Theatre. And I just love me our local community champions. Eh? That's what I've missed the most. One People ask me what I miss about New Zealand. It's, it's community. I love my community. I love being, you know, walking through Henderson more and just, you know, stopping and having chats and corridor with different people mm. and that's what i that's what i missed out on i mean i was anonymous in the u.s because nobody knew who i was but then coming back home in west auckland you know getting stopped having a hug and just having a corridor that's what i miss and that's what i love the most mm-hmm. wow that's cool man so um gonna reveal some of your plans for uh, for west auckland or well we've got an election this year general election mm. so i you'll be, you'll be busy yeah, on the uh, yep, happy now yep. on the trail. I've been on the show and camping campaign trail. Mm. Um, it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be hard, 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 hard one this year. I feel that national and act um, that they are getting louder. Mm. You know, they're getting louder. Especially us. act. Oh man! Well, <laughs> it's actually interesting because you know the national. Party, they put out the education plans, right? Because uh, they were like, you know, our kids need to do one hour of reading, one hour of writing, and one hour of this. That's not, that's terrible. You know, you can't do that to our kids. Um, and these are non-education people telling mm-hmm. teachers they're going to change the education system. Um, we're going to be very specific on what they learn. No, no, 
<laughs> no, our curriculum that we have in our schools, I think, is great. It's flexible. So that means that allows schools to come up with a curriculum using a very broad, um, the very broad um, uh, ideas in the curriculum that caters for their particular school. So a lot of countries will be, you know, their curriculum is so strict that you're told what to teach and how to teach, right? Mm. I love our curriculum because it's very broad, so it allows schools to design a curriculum based on the curriculum that caters for their particular school, also allows for the community input into the curriculum, which I think is really important, community to have a say as well on what the kids and the kids should be learning. I think that's beautiful, and that's what I love the most about a New Zealand curriculum system. So when I had the National Party saying, no, they need to be, teachers need to be told what to teach, you know, and we need to be doing one hour of reading, one hour of writing, we need to be forcing this on our kids. I don't, don't agree with that. I love the beauty and flexibility. Is a flex- flexibility comes comes out with uh, is a flexibility because they say here are the outcomes. Yeah, we don't care how you do it as yes. long as the outcome is well. Oh well, we, we care how you do it. Yeah, but, we care how you do it. But you're flexible yeah. in the way you do it. Yeah, we're flexible in the way you do it. Um, you're flexible based on the types of students that you have in the school, right. the, the the nature of the community that you come from. So, for example, if you come from um, West Auckland, there might be some sort of West Auckland local history that you could be using. Mm. I think about the Waitakere Ranges and I think about the local iwi Tikawara Maki and all those rich local stories that you could use, the flexibility of, of, of using those stories in the curriculum. Mm. And that, that means that schools have to actually go out and search for uh, those particular stories and yeah. how you teach them and I think that's a beautiful thing and that's I like what that. I love about our curriculum I like that and instead of other countries are just told what to teach and what to do and how to teach mm. and I don't like that mm. and, it's not, and, and that's not good for our kids learning because you have to you, you know you have to find ways of matching um, what's important for our kids to learn and, and, how, and how they learn too how they learn is also important mm. even the um, because I think the, the teachers uh, uh, and the secondary you just got another strike coming up. And they had a strike, the primary school teachers. I think they got an offer. They got an offer? I don't know if they rejected it or not. Um, t- taking th- it. So there's another, there's another protest coming up uh, for the secondary school teachers, the PPTA union. Um, I've been a little bit out in the loop with that, but they're, they're not happy um, that the, the pay negotiations are not matching with the rise of the living costs rise in infl- inflation right, yeah, right. as well. It's right. not matching. Um, so they want a little bit more work with you know, on that. So, yeah. It's always the same issue, eh? Like this, um, not, uh, it was low pay and, but too much work. Yep, conditions as well. So yeah. I've got to tell you, so when you teach, you teach for a certain amount of hours a week, right? So for example, um, usually a teacher would teach 21 hours a week. Okay, 21 hours. Um, sometimes when a teacher is away, that teacher might have to cover a class and that goes over their 21 hours. Mm. So that really shouldn't be allowed. But teachers have been doing that for years anyway to help out the school, right? right. So now teachers say, no, we're not going to do that. And then, and then schools can't find relief teachers. So that causes problems. Now teachers are saying, okay, we're not going to take sports. We're not going to take after school drama classes or things like that. So that's a director from the PPTA because this is the goodwill of teachers. Teachers aren't paid to do after school stuff. 
they're not paid to do that. Mm. But teachers do so much more outside the the eight hours in the classroom. Um, when I was teaching, I would dedicate half of a weekend, so either a Saturday or a Sunday, half day, to prepare for the week. Not paid to do that. So it would do, because that would help me out for the week. If I, you know, three to four hours in the weekend of planning for my week ahead or marking assignments or creating assignments or creating resources because we don't have much time when we're in school to do that because everything's so busy. Teachers are doing 20 things, 20 things at a time. It's insane. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Did you have this conversation in America with the education system over there and do they have the same problems um, as us or different? So, so underpaid. Yeah. Oh, underpaid. Yeah, underpaid. Yeah. yeah, underpaid, under-resourced. Um, a lot of teachers work two jobs in the States. Wow. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. Teacher and another. Oh, yeah. wow. Teachers should never work two jobs. That's just, that's, that's, that's criminal, you know. Teachers are already a high-stress job um, that requires so much attention. They should never be working two, hour, or two jobs. Wow. But So I spoke to some teachers who work two jobs. It could be like an Uber driver. Wow. Yeah, um, because um, the cost of living is is, is getting higher as in the, the 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 wages. So depending on where you live as well. So you know, as I said before, you, know, you get paid differently depending on what city you come from, which state you come from, um, etc. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So back to normal then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and I do worry about some of our teachers. Um, mm. So do you know, for example, teachers in Auckland get paid the same as teachers out in Southland or Dunedin? Yeah, I knew it was the same yeah. all around. Even though, you know, the, you know, living costs are different in those cities because the rents or the houses are lower while here in Auckland. Yeah, because I heard that's why teachers sometimes leave, this, leave Auckland to go in the rural areas because yep. yep. there's less work, but... But you don't have to spend much money. I'm going to tell you, one of my friends said that. Um, they sold their house here in Auckland. They were able to buy a bigger property. They have to worry about traffic mm. um, to the school. You know, easy drive to school. Um, they are able to buy a, a bigger house and still have some money left over. Yeah. And um, the lifestyle is easier. Yeah, because you don't have to spend much. Huh? Yep. Yeah. I love Auckland too much not to leave, so. <laughs> <laughs> that one, yeah. But yeah, a lot of people are moving out. Um, the city is expensive. I know this because my partner's a teacher. Oh. And, um, Man, it's like um, there's. Uh, I get to hear all the problems, right? Mm. All the problems, and some of them are what we just talked about. But then it's it's it, and that's how I find out about teachers moving out of the cities because it's easier to work in the rural areas or even up north. But then it's the how do we get um, more Pacific and Maori into the principal positions. Yes. That's a that's a big one, eh? That is a very very big one. Yeah, I want to see more Mani Pacifica principals and mm. or in senior leadership roles. Yeah, and a lot of the times they're missing out, and not not necessarily their fault. Um, but those who are the, who make those decisions aren't employing Mani Pacific principals who offer an immense amount of of cultural wealth, and mm. um, yeah, so um, that's something that I like to see more of as well. Yeah. Sweet man. Do you have any more anything else to say? Or? Um, I think I think that's it. Just thank you so much for you know, f- thank you for having me. Um, um, you know, I, you're doing lots of different podcasts, and you know, <laughs> I've, I've been obviously been listening to many of them. 
Um, oh, it's, been, it's been it's been a journey. Good. It's been good. I think what I lo- really love about it is talking to people like you, and talking to people that experience something different that I don't understand, and just having the chat and getting to know that those experiences. Right. You know. Can I ask you a question? Yes. What's something that you've learned, either from this conversation or the previous conversation? That's something that you've like. It's something that's made you think a lot more as a result of something that I've mentioned. Um, <clears throat> I think it's it's about. I think one that te- took out of this conversation mm. is your experiences over in a different country, and especially in the United States, where I'm really familiar of freedom f- through what I love, and that's movies and TV, okay. you know, yeah. and just understanding and just and just interested in the politics over there. But interested in the reason why you went there, you know, mm-hmm. and you being uh, Maori and being indigenous over here in New Zealand and comparing your experience, your indigenous experience over there in a different country where it's probably the the worst um, kind of in terms of levels of, you know, how far they're up in the in the in society and that you know you you go into a place where it's 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 racist. You know, it's got a racist history. It's got a violent history. The politics is corrupt. Wow, you know, sorry. it's corrupt. And yeah. it's all those things that make America, America. And all those things that make America, like, interesting. Because we are so lucky to be not there, living, not living there. I mean, I love what they offer of entertainment and, you know, the convenience, food and movies and Hollywood, all that kind of stuff. It's just the surface stuff. But living there, nah. No, it's not. That I don't think they treat their people um, well. You know, it's all about the one percent over there. Hmm. You know, I was I was proud to be a New Zealander while overseas. Yeah, I bet, man. I was so I proud. Bet. I bet. And I was proud to share what you know, to share what that means to me with others. And I think I I did that. Yeah, but I think what I what I loved about having this conversation because you probably share the same sentiments as me with what you felt. You know, like I think it's cool just to go experience it. You know, just knowing where we come from and going to experience something that's completely different, and just comparing and then coming back and say, "That was cool." You know, like stepping outside your box or learning, learning from other people and other people learning from you too. You know, it was really good. I think I think learning. I think when you're a teacher. You also have to be the learner as well, mm. so it goes both ways. It should always go both ways. I, yeah, so I think that's that was important to share what's to share, but also to learn. And I did learn a lot from indigenous communities there too. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet man, that's us. I've lover. I've lover. Thank you. Thanks, Will. Thank oh, are you, are you public? Can people find you, or is that a secret? No, no, no. no they can find me. Um, they can find me. I'm actually across all social media. So um, I'm on Twitter, Willux Flavel. I'm on um, Instagram. Um, actually, I've been using LinkedIn quite often for the professional oh, yeah. side. So all my all my um, you know education stuff is on LinkedIn. That's my most professional one. It's also on my Facebook as well. So um, yeah, I'm keen to, you know, this year is an election year, but I'm also, this year, I'm going to really focus on listening to the stories of our local champions here in West Auckland. You know, those who don't. Right. There's so many champions in this in this city of ours that don't. That they need to be recognised more. I'd like uh, to talk to them. I'll, I'll pass them on to you. This is amazing. Yeah, you know, I think of Tipo. 
the theatre. Oh, no, I'd have to, mm. yeah, have to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. I'll, 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 yeah, I'll show you the context, eh? I will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Thank you, bro. Sweet, bro. Appreciate it. All right. Have a good week. Thank you.